All right. Well, let's get going this morning. Um, we are continuing our study on practicing thankfulness. And we're moving into uh, a new section of the book called The Fruitfulness of Gratitude, uh, where we're thinking on kind of the benefits of having a grateful heart. So we've kind of encountered the, the big ideas of how being thankful or having a heart that is grateful is right, it's wise, uh, which seem to be, you know, twined together. And then last week, John, I believe, taught us on uh, the, kind of the portrait of a grateful heart and how, you know, there's one who's united to the Lord Jesus Christ and therefore has gratefulness uh, that's springing up from him. And now we're, we're going to begin to see the benefits or the results, I would say, of a heart that's filled with gratefulness. Well, let me pray for us and then we'll get going. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the day that you've given and the the rest it is to our souls to be taught and instructed from your word. And we do ask, Lord, that you would grant your Holy Spirit to help us understand. We pray that you would instruct us in your truth. We pray that you would benefit our souls and transform our souls to be grateful. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so he... He opens up this chapter recognizing that um, thankfulness is something that is a polite social etiquette. Um, but he wants to make the point that it's not just a polite social etiquette. Uh, it is productive. Uh, it bears fruit. And the question really is, how does it do that? What does thankfulness produce? Well, I want you all to take your Bibles, and we'll be bouncing around a few places as as we've done in this study. And turn with me to Psalm 30. Psalm 30. And I want you to reflect with me on how gratitude in the soul produces more delight in God, which would be the first fruit, the first benefit of a grateful heart. Psalm 30. And let me read the whole thing to you, and then we'll kind of talk about the details. The Psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you His saints, and give thanks to His holy name. For His anger is but for a moment, and His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I, I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning and dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. 
David is in the midst of trouble, as he often is in the Psalms, and he recognizes uh, as he prayed to the Lord that the Lord drew him up as an expression of being rescued from a threat like death itself. In fact, he mentions about uh, he's been brought up from Sheol. Of course, in this case, he hasn't actually been raised from the dead, but his enemies were seeking to prevail over him. David had a prideful heart uh, where he said in his prosperity, I shall never be moved. Maybe the cause of his enemies coming against him was the Lord giving him over in some way to the consequences of a prideful heart. But David's perspective changed. In trouble, he does what believers do. He cries out to God. And then there are instructions in the psalm about how all of God's people should respond to the Lord for the things He does for us. And you see that in verses 4 and 5. Sing praises to the Lord, O you His saints, and give thanks to His holy name. For His anger is but for a moment, and His favor is for a lifetime. Um, His steadfast love uh, lasts forever is the big picture. And he's telling the people of God to give thanks. And then David does some more rehearsing of his own trouble and how he cried to the Lord in his pitiful condition and how the Lord was his helper because end of the psalm, verse 11, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Now, what's the result of this now thankful heart. So trouble overwhelmed him. He cried out to God. God delivered. He's telling all the people of God, you ought to praise the Lord and give thanks to His name because of the kind of God He is, a God who brings favor, who gives steadfast love. But then he says, the Lord has done this for him, verse 12, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you. What's that last word? Forever. What has the thankfulness over this one particular situation done for David through the rest of his life? What's been the result of of thankfulness? Well, it, it has produced a desire to bless God forever. Because what's the principle here? Well, weeping may last for the night, but the shout of joy comes in the morning. His anger is for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. And as David, in a kind of a microcosm of uh, the mercies of the Lord, in this one instance he saw how great it was for God to come and rescue and lift him up as though being raised from the dead, and therefore he gives thanks. He recognizes, as I look upon the nature of God, that his favor is for a lifetime. That he comes and he takes my mourning and turns it into dancing. I therefore will give thanks forever. So what has gratefulness produced? It's produced a delight in the Lord Himself. (coughs) Gratefulness makes a man, woman, boy, or girl God-oriented. Gratefulness makes a man, woman, boy, or girl God-oriented. It causes us to have a greater delight in the Lord. And this is maybe the chief fruit of a grateful heart. Because gratefulness requires the the object, right? We've talked about that quite a bit. And the object of our thanksgiving is God. Um, So 
the very nature of gratefulness causes us to turn to the Lord and to focus on what He has done. And it just produces in our soul a desire to bless His name, to recognize His benefits, to see what He's done for us. And it makes us kind of sink further into a God-oriented perspective. What happens to us when we're discontent, complaining, down low in our circumstances, is we're focusing on the winds and waves of adversity. And they become our focus, rather than the Lord becoming our focus. And when the winds and waves become our focus, when the troubles of life become our focus, not only do we not have a God-oriented perspective, we're not grateful. We're bothered by the trouble that's assailing us. So, I think it's really crucial to recognize a key benefit of a grateful heart or a a heart that's ready to give thanks to the Lord is it causes you to be more oriented to God Himself and it produces a delight in the Lord. Now, I want you to respond to a quote that the author gives and get you all talking a little bit this morning. Uh, The quote is this. I'll read it a couple of times. Gratitude is both a vital indicator of our soul's health and a powerful defender of our soul's happiness. I'll say it again. Gratitude is both a vital indicator of our soul's health and a powerful defender of our soul's happiness. Let's think about this statement. Maybe let's take the first part of it. How is gratefulness or gratitude a vital indicator of our soul's health? What would you all say to that? Right, and if I take your your metaphor of oil, I mean, if you don't have oil in your car, you're not going anywhere. Well, if you don't have gratefulness in your heart, there's not going to be a spiritual movement forward. Um, So, yeah. So, any other thoughts about how gratefulness is a vital indicator of our soul's health? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, the the whole perspective that um, if we're if we're not being grateful, there's a deserving mentality. I'm sure all of you have heard, you have seen written somebody say, I didn't sign up for this. Um, that's kind of become a, a trendy thing to say. I've heard it from people in counseling situations. Tell me, I didn't sign up for this. Uh, well, what are you saying when you say that? Uh, you, you are saying, you know, 
you will only move forward in your life on the basis of what you determine is good for yourself. And you're, you're saying, while you're acknowledging you're not in control, because you didn't sign up for this, something has happened outside of your control, but you don't like it, and you're complaining, that's what you're doing. Um, I'm a serial complainer. I have a complaining problem. Um, it's, a, it's a real issue. However, I recognize from a biblical perspective that the, one of the chief characteristics of the, the ungodly is that they are not grateful. Uh, the psalmist says, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to praise the name of the Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. It is good. So if we're not doing it, then we're not doing the good. And if we don't do the good that we know we ought to do, what is that? Sin, James 4. Uh, so this is a big deal. It is a good indicator of our soul's health. What about the second part of the phrase? Great Gratitude is both a vital indicator of our soul's health and a powerful defender of our soul's happiness. Okay, if you're complaining, you're not happy. Um, yeah, and that that's pretty, you know, easy to recognize in one sense, except when we're complaining and we're blind to it. <clears throat> um, but yeah, it is uh, this, you know, this idea of being grateful has something to do with happiness. Now we know the fuzziness of that term. I I want to kind of get away from happy in it defined by our circumstances, uh, rather a biblical perspective on joy. Maybe that would be my only tweak with this quote, a powerful defender of our soul's joy. Because you can be in horrible circumstances and still be grateful and joyful. And that, I think, is what Scripture is trying to tell us. Any other comments on this? That gratitude is a powerful defender of our soul's happiness or joy? Because it can just reorient, as you're saying, yeah. to, to see that, oh, the circumstances that I thought were not conducive to happiness, that I thought were bad, aren't actually bad, because there's all these other good things. And sometimes that's not always true, right? Sometimes it's just a really terrible situation, and all you can have is joy. But I think we tend to, if we were to count up the moments in our life that we can be happy and the moments that we aren't happy, we would be really off base on how many we could have been happy in. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's helpful. What were you going to say, Kelly? Similar in that as you go, I mean, I'm thinking of, like, if you could be thankful in all the circumstances. Right. Um, that often the only way that we truly can be thankful is to really wrestle through it. Yeah. Wrestle through those difficult circumstances, which means we have to speak them. I mean, in some way, to the Lord, to ourselves, we have to process it mm-hmm. sometimes because it doesn't just happen. I, I love when it does, but it doesn't always happen. Right. But then that means that that means that we do reorient ourselves. We remember who the Lord is and who we are. Yeah. So that we can give thanks in all circumstances. And so, so then in remem- in that reorienting, in that remembering, that we can truly give thanks and be happy. Joyful, happy, our, our key 
be peaceful remembering that. Um, and so, so in that way, it is vital, but it also allows us to. Yeah, so it does. A, it's a preservative thing on you know where we if we're looking for happiness or something in our circumstances. There are many things in life that are going to happen to us that will not produce that external happiness. But what the Lord has done for us is this sense of abiding uh, and overflowing joy—the thing that He's done for our souls. So as we kind of reorient ourselves, we come back to appreciate the goodness of God, even in the midst of what is hard then it, it does guard us from kind of falling into a perpetual pit of grumbling. Let me show you this. I, I think that this statement is helpful, um, but the second part of it, I think, is, is a biblical perspective in the book of Philippians. And you can turn there if you like. Um, I, I'm not going to... Read the whole book or even read massive sections of it. But I want you to remember, when Paul writes the letter to the church at Philippi, he's in prison. And it's a softer imprisonment than his second Roman imprisonment, but it's still prison. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it's a tough thing. And Paul, he went to Jerusalem. He was arrested there. <coughs> he got sent off to uh, Caesarea. He's in jail for a couple of years before he's finally taken to Rome. It's a shipwreck on the way. It's a lot of hard things. And he gets to Rome. It's like nobody's heard of Paul. No, no word has been sent in advance. And he's kind of stuck there for an additional couple of years. At the point where we read Philippians, maybe it's year three or four that Paul's been imprisoned. And his enemies, um, even enemies within the church, are trying to make trouble for him. Now, you got to imagine how hard this is for the great missionary of the early church who's going everywhere to plant churches. is stuck in a prison. He can't go anywhere. What is God's purpose in this? Um, and people are beginning to say, don't you see, Paul is not a legitimate gospel minister because he's stuck in prison. And he can't defend the gospel there. He can't take the gospel to people when he's in this spot. But here's what he says, Philippians 1 verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard, all the Roman soldiers know why I'm here, <clears throat> and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, <clears throat> sorry, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Do you see how Paul, in the midst of his affliction, has kind of cultivated a grateful heart? I'm grateful that the gospel is being preached, even if it's by a bunch of bozos trying to cause me trouble. I'm still grateful that the gospel is being preached. <clears throat> More than that, I'm grateful 
<coughs> that the Lord is going to use your prayers and His powerful Holy Spirit to bring me to a point of deliverance. Now, there's a question. Does He mean deliverance in this life? Does He mean ultimate deliverance? Um, I think He means ultimate deliverance because He goes on to say that it's His eager expectation that He will not at all be ashamed. And He'll glorify God or glorify the Lord Jesus whether He lives or dies. <clears throat> so, He will be delivered. And then He's able to say, that staggering thing to say, that death is gain. So even in this moment of great affliction, <clears throat> the defender of Paul's happiness, a powerful defender, is a grateful heart at the goodness of the Lord that hasn't ceased and how I know ultimately I'm going to overcome. Um, I won't be at all ashamed. There's another example of this in Philippians 4. <coughs> Excuse me. Philippians 4, verses 4 to 7. Thomas, would you read that for us? 4, 4 to 7. Mm -hmm. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. <clears throat> the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. A fruit of gratitude is peace. How do we see that here? Um, well, Paul's commanded you to rejoice, and in case you missed it, he says again, rejoice. <clears throat> he's reminded you that the Lord is at hand, that is, the Lord is near, and then he's commanded us, do not be anxious about anything, but what do we do? Well, stop being anxious, but now do this uh, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And what will be the result? In the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. How is it that praying with thanksgiving in our anxiety brings about the peace of God guarding our heart? How does that work? <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> yeah, so it kind of drives the anxiety away when we when we kind of lift up the shield of faith, exercising gratitude, John. Well, when we pray, we're entering into a dialogue with God. So we're bringing our petition before Him, bringing the living things to our eyes. So you know that uses because you know when you have when you lift up something, it doesn't help keep it on there. Right. Yeah, we keep we keep taking our petitions to the Lord. We keep focusing on Him and His nearness. <clears throat> right. Yeah, it does seem to be a supernatural thing that it would be the peace of God would be 
given to us to guard us. It's not something that you can, you know, put in your your chips in the heavenly dispense machine and then the Lord's going to give it to you. But there is something that's focused on us here. You come with an anxious heart or you're you're troubled by an anxious heart. And then you come into the presence of God and Paul's very specific in your anxiety. What do you do? You present your requests to the Lord, your prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Um, what does that immediately make you do? Yes, we, we tell our trouble to the Lord. Okay, a submissive heart. Um, as we move from anxiety to thanksgiving, what's happening? Yeah, it's that reorienting of the soul again to stop looking at the thing making you anxious. Start looking at the God who's in control in your trouble. And that forces you to look at the power of the Lord, to look at the grace of the Lord, that He's open to hear your cry, that you can cast your burden on Him, giving Him every anxiety, because He cares for you. And the Lord, as you look at Him, Isaiah 26, He keeps the mind of the soul whose, whose mind is stayed on Him in perfect peace. So as we rest our mind on the Lord, He produces peace in our hearts. And it's interesting, the peace of God. Is, does that mean the peace that God gives? The peace that God possesses? The peace in which God exists as a being? God's never concerned about what's going to happen next. God's not in a state of haste trying to run here and run there to figure things out. Um, most commentators believe that it's the peace that God has within Himself that He gives to His people because it's a peace that passes all understanding. It, his peace settles you and it's given to you to guard you. But it does require some mental work, doesn't it? Now, it's supernatural. God has to give a gift, but it requires you to do something. Uh, you come before the Lord with your trouble, and then you purposely give thanks to Him. Of course, you can't really give thanks to Him unless you're actually thankful. Um, so it, again, there's that reorienting of the soul. So not only does thankfulness produce a delight in the Lord, <clears throat> as it reorients your soul to the Lord, thankfulness brings the result of peace or the benefit of peace. Uh, let me give you a couple of more of these. <clears throat> Thankfulness liberates the soul from envy. Thankfulness liberates the soul from envy. Uh, look at, well, you don't have to, I won't take you there because of time. John 3. Jesus has emerged on the scene. John the baptizer has already begun saying, you know, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Disci some of the disciples have gone from following John to following Jesus. Well, now people are coming to John and saying, hey, that guy's baptizing more people than you. Um, hey, aren't you the Christ? You know, they're trying to kind of stir up. Do you see that you're being surpassed in ministry here? And John famously says, <clears throat> first of all, um, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. That is, whatever ministry I have, whatever I'm called to do, it was given to me as a gift. And I can't do anything more than God has given me to do. That's a, a thankful perspective. And then he says, you know, I'm, I'm not the Christ. I, I, I told you that already. Uh, I was sent before the Christ. 
Then he makes an analogy. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He's content in his role. I'm not here to be the bridegroom. That's not my calling. I'm the friend of the bridegroom. And I rejoice greatly that that guy over there is the one getting married. Um, I'm not you know, wishing I had the bride. Uh, that's not my role. And then he says that famous statement, he must increase and I must decrease. John is liberated from any kind of envious, jealous spirit <clears throat> because he has a thankful appreciation with the role that God has given him. What is envy? If y'all had to try to define it simply. What is it? <clears throat> yeah. It is. Um, grasping. Yeah, there's a there's a hatred of the person. There's an inability to rejoice in God's gifts to others. Because you you are pining for what they have and really for the destruction of others to the exaltation of self. <clears throat> you you want it all and you want to move them away. Um there's a dragon in a in a story by Tolkien that has this problem and a man who's got this problem. You yeah, you'll probably remember the details. <laughs> The dragon, <clears throat> the dragon guarding his gold, right? Um, and it, it produces this all-consuming focus with the thing that I must have, and nobody else can have it, even though I don't know that the dragon's really enjoying his gold because he's just sitting on it. Uh, but um, if, we're, if we have a grateful heart, accepting the things that God has given us, accepting the design that God has given us, it liberates us from envy. And let me tell you, go ahead, John. Well, too, I think that you know, remember that this next time, this is a one time thing that, you know, well, now, consciousness is not on the group. I think after this, John will send disciples. Once Jesus needs to look at God, he will send <clears throat> John and says, hey, what do you want to You know, are you the one who's <coughs> Are you the one that we can to? John will say, John, right. So John, even after this, was still struggling. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so it's not just well, I've been to God once, now I'm okay. You know, we're sinners, so we're always having to struggle with it. So we're always having to bring our petitions before Him, and we don't get ourselves. Yeah, this kind of envious, covetous heart that struggles to be what we ought to be is going to be a perpetual problem for us. Yeah. Kelly? And the ability of the divinity to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We can't do that if we are not grateful, if we are envious, if we don't really want that person's good. <clears throat> right. There are all kinds of ways in life that this, this type of thing is demonstrated. Um, but, you know, there are the issues of accepting how God has made you and the gifts God has given you and appreciating those in order that you might be able to appreciate the different gifts and designs that God has given to others. Um, whether it be 
how God has designed you physically, like how you look, the shape of your body, body design issues. A lot of people have body issues. Um, the particular season you are in life, um, you know, you used to be this and now you're this. Um, you used to be 22 and buff and now you're 45 and fat. Uh, and yeah, maybe you did some things to get there, but can you still appreciate where you are? Or recognizing, you know, do you have a, a superior gift, like a high level gift, or do you have lower gifts? And you get mad at everybody who has superior gifts to you, whether it be eloquence and speech or an ability to relate to people, whatever it is. Have you accepted what God has given you and grateful for what God has given you? The devil's always trying to make you focus on what you don't have to produce envy, rot in your soul. But thankfulness to the Lord produces a fight or an overcoming of envy. Let me give you one more quote to respond to, and then we'll close with Proverbs 15, 15. He he quotes a a Christian psychologist or counselor, I forget which, saying this, the core ingredient, the core ingredient of mental health is gratitude. The core ingredient of mental health is gratitude. We have a, a real focus in our day on, on mental health. I'm not necessarily saying that's a bad thing, um, but with a maybe a, a perspective that's so oriented toward mental health, we really forget to, to discover what the heart of overcoming some of those struggles are. The core ingredient of mental health is gratitude. <coughs> Thoughts or comments? I was going to say about the suffering and envy parts that the, all attitudes were being so countercultural to the way that we would, or even you know, the world, or even so many false religions sort of present, you know, dealing with hardship or even, even talking about gratitude, where the focus is your life is going to get better now. They would never say something like, oh, you know. <clears throat> in this horrible situation and still be joyful. Right. Right. Or with anxiety, the focus would all be on like on the anxiety, like what's causing it, and how can we make that bad thing go away so that you can feel comfortable again. Right. So going to the mental health thing, that's where like the focus is on the wrong thing. <clears throat> and if you focusing on God, maybe maybe gratitude itself isn't the core ingredient, maybe it's trust in the Lord, but but it is it's you know, it's the it's the indicator, right? Of of a trust in the Lord. Yeah. Where your heart's oriented. It's oriented toward God. Yeah. As I've, as I've gone through, you know, my own uh, physical afflictions over the last five years or so, one thing that keeps coming up, um, is how I need to eliminate stress. And if y'all want to figure out how to do that, I'd love for you to tell me. <laughs> um, because I, I just can't figure it out. Uh, you do preach on it. Right. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how to eliminate stress, but I think that a better answer, while, I mean, we we do aim to fight against stress and unnecessary stress on our lives, the way to overcome stress seems to be in looking to the Lord and His benefits to you and being grateful 
for him in the hard thing. Strangely dim. Yeah, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Yes, uh, the things of earth do go, grow strangely dim in the light of His glorious face as we, as we look to the Lord. <clears throat> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. It's always helpful to read of others in the past who've who've been through hard things and things way harder than you, and who've yet find who who find ways to be joyful, um, who who are expressive of their thanksgiving to the Lord. I, personally, one of the greatest benefits to my soul through the years is just to read Christian biography and to see the saints of God trusting the Lord in all of their hard circumstances. I'll close with this, Proverbs 15.15, which says, All the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. Uh, You might initially read that and think that the afflicted ones are the wicked, and their days are evil, uh, but the God we have a different path. I don't think that's what the proverb is saying. All the days of the afflicted are evil, um, and the saints are the afflicted ones. And our days are evil. Uh, we live in a cursed world with a lot of hard things, and there are many, many, many difficulties that we wrestle with every day. But the one, the believer with a cheerful heart has a continual feast. What does that mean? <clears throat> Charles Bridges who wrote, in my humble opinion, the best commentary on Proverbs available, better than Matthew Henry on this particular book. It's really, really good. If you ever wanted to read a book to help you have a devotional, this would be a good one to get. He he writes this, uh, in recognizing that affliction as the fruit and chastening of sin is evil. Hence, the days of the afflicted are evil. Yet, a solid principle of inward satisfaction will bring real comfort in the most trying circumstances. Though therefore the abounding consolation of of Christian affliction does not blot out his penal character, yet the child of God is not so miserable as he seems to be. I like the way he says that. It's not so miserable as he seems to be. He doesn't tell you that you're not miserable. You are. The darkest of these evil days can never make the consolations of God small with him. He can sing in the prison as in a palace. He can take joyfully the spoiling of his goods. Hebrews uh, 10, where 
Your property property's been confiscated, and yet there's still trust in the Lord. He can praise his God when he hath stripped him naked. Job. He still blesses the name of the Lord. <clears throat> he can re- <coughs> excuse me. He can rejoice in him as his portion in earthly destitution. Do we believe that the Lord can do that? Um, there's this old contemporary Christian song that's kind of always stuck in my head by Stephen Curtis Chapman. He wrote a song called "What Kind of Joy Is This?" on Paul and Silas in prison singing. What what kind of joy is this that could sing in prison at midnight after you got beat and you're in stocks? What kind of joy is this? It doesn't make sense. Um, But the cheerful of heart has a continual feast even in the midst of evil days. Look at the benefits that gratefulness produces. Let us strive to be more grateful uh, that we might delight in our God, have the peace of God guarding our hearts, be liberated from envy, and see a sanctifying effect on all of life. Well, let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we give thanks to you that you are God and that we are your people and that we have access to you through the blood of your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have untold spiritual blessings. Help us to remember these things in the midst of these present evil days. Lord, while the world brings trouble upon us, We know it is yet your hand that chooses to afflict. And yet, in our afflictions, there are so many benefits for us. And ultimately, Lord, we will be delivered. We will have no cause for shame in the last day. Help us to remember these things. And may it cheer our hearts. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.